0: I think it would be a bit of a disaster if Spurs didn't miss trophy this season. When anything goes a little bit wrong, he will point the finger wherever he can.
1: Well, I don't know about you, Wayne Rooney just doesn't strike me as a manager that will instill confidence into that Derby side.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Rematch podcast. I'm Cameron, your host this week and of course I'm joined by the fantastic Ollie, Dan, Sam and Adam. This week's episode will surely be a special one as we take an all or nothing look at Tottenham's title chances this season. Ramming itself into the podcast will be Wayne Rooney's Derby County who sits sheepishly above my beloved Sheffield Wednesday in the table. Today's recording of this podcast was moved to an early kickoff. hopefully no-one pulls up with an injury halfway through. But I'm sure if they do, Jurgen Klopp will have something to say about it. And finally, after Marie made it to the third round of the FA Cup for the second time in their history, we will take a look at some of the strangest football club names to grace the world. Make sure you're listening for all this coming up in the podcast.
1: Tottenham topped the table after 10 games and are flying under Jose Mourinho. We always expect his size to do well in their second season and with Kane and Son two of the most informed players in the division, Spurs might finally be able to challenge for the title. What do we think, lads? Are Tottenham the real deal? They look solid,
3: don't they? they? They look like they can do this the whole season and not get tired of it. They've got the depth in the squad. Mourinho's got them playing exactly how we'd want them to play. I think last season they were sort of adapting to a style of play. They went from Pochettino, who was a very... Attacking manager, they were playing free-flowing football. And now, under Mourinho, they Lord so defensively solid, like he's expecting a Mourinho's side. And to be fair to him, I think I heard a stat, and I think you touched on it there, Sam, that uh, he does, in his second season, always win the title, other than his time at Man United, I think it was. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't see them getting rolled over by any team this season. And you've got to think, I think they'll win big games against the big sides that are up there. Such as your Liverpool's, your Man Citys, as we've seen in and your Chelsea's, which I, I think they'll they'll get points against all those sides and prevent them beating them, and that's where title winners are decided.
1: I mean, we've already seen that in some of the games that Spurs have played. The last two games, Man City at home, Chelsea away, four points from six is a fantastic return against those two teams. I can't remember the last time Chelsea were beaten at home. So going to that place, I think you're going back to last season, especially. Man City, a team that we mentioned in last week's podcast, not currently firing on all cylinders, but a team that Liverpool still drew with last season's champions. Spurs came to their place, got a result against them. I mentioned in the intro about some of the most informed players in the division. Harry Kane, Sonia, still got Gareth Bale to come into the mix. Spurs finally have that strength in depth that's eluded them for so many seasons. I think it's just the attacking players that have improved under Mourinho as well.
4: <clears throat> and I mentioned it last week about Tanguy Ndombele and even someone like Serge Aurier. I think turning Serge Aurier into a, into a fairly good defender is probably one of Mourinho's biggest achievements in his career. But I think I think the success from Tottenham this season has been a mix between good recruitment and Mourinho's winning mentality. Obviously, we know they spent a lot on the, the stadium, so they didn't have much to spend on the Pochettino. But they seem to have borrowed money from the bank this season. And you can only think that's happened because Mourinho's demanded it when he came in. Um, but this, this season he's shown that he, he has different ways of playing. He can play good football when, when he needs to. And yesterday we saw towards the latter stages of that, that Chelsea game when Chelsea were coming on top that he, he ended up did settling for a point. My only issue is that sometimes, I, I think this season is going to be a season of fine margins. And I think mean, yesterday that Bergwijn chance in the first half, they could have easily won it Spurs if, if he had taken that. And like I said, fine margins like that are what usually decides the title. And, I usually, I'd usually give it until February to decide whether they actually are the real deal or not.
0: I feel watching Mourinho's side this year that he's, it's much more like watching him at Chelsea first time compared to second time. It's like even he's rolled back the years, 10, 15 years, and, and just the way that he sets up his side seems to be much more positive than it has been in recent years. But I think that the Premier League is just so wide open that there's going to be Spurs are going to be thinking it, but as are a lot of teams, that if you don't win it now, if you don't finish top four now for some, for some teams, then they might not for years and years and years to come. This is, I think, their best chance. However, I'm, I think you can say the same thing for a lot of sides currently in the top half of the division.
1: Yeah, Spurs' best chance at winning the league was probably the year Leicester did it. What's that? Mm. Five seasons ago now. Um we talked about Jose Mourinho being a serial winner. He's won three Premier League titles, two Champions Leagues. He's won the league in every division, in every, sorry, in every country that he's managed. Um, you're looking at the Pochettino sacking uh, around 12 months ago now it was and saying, well, is that right? He's just guided them to the Champions League final. Probably at the moment you're saying that's the right decision because look at how far Mourinho's taken them on since.
3: Yeah, I'm one of them who thought it was an absolute disaster. I tweeted about it the second it happened and I said, this is the biggest mistake they'll ever make. But you've got to think after a little bit of settling down and Mourinho didn't do great last season with Spurs, but he needed that time to sort of bedding with the squad and things like that. And he's had a, a little bit of a summer now, if you can call it that, to sort of get them all gelled together. But Mourinho gets trophies, and I think, I think it would be a bit of a disaster if Spurs didn't win this trophy this season, because everything's set up for them to do so. I think if they don't win one this season, then it's the burden of oh, another year, and then the pressure's really on next season for Mourinho and Spurs. And to be honest, I don't think Mourinho copes very well with pressure anymore. I think he likes being the underdog in the situation. So maybe we could see as the season goes on, as Spurs become more and more likely to win the title, that fans and pundits really start to mount on the pressure for him. And that's when he might start to crack a little bit under the pressure because he hasn't handled it well of late.
2: I think they do need to win something this season, whether it's you know the League Cup, FA Cup or Premier League, which would obviously be ideal. That would really get you know, a monkey off Spurs back really and Mourinho's back. But as, as, as Adam said earlier, that the Premier League is wide open again. And it was quite, apart from the to win the Premier League last year, it was it was still Man City and, and Liverpool. But this year, you know, those two aren't exactly firing as of yet. You know, we obviously saw a good Man City performance against Burnley, but before that, we haven't really seen much. So Spurs need to take advantage of that. I think it's so important that they do win something this season. If it's the Premier League, then, then that would be perfect for Spurs right now. Um, but I think even just a, an FA Cup, you know, it's, it's so important because, like I say, it's so open this year. And I think if we do get to sort of February and Spurs are up there, but and Liverpool and, and Man City are either around the same amount of points or, you know, well, basically start running away with the league, then they'll prioritise the league over the FA Cup more than they normally would. So that might be a chance then for Spurs or a similar team like Chelsea to come in and steal steal the FA Cup back.
3: Something that I find really interesting with uh, Spurs is that when Mourinho first came in, everyone thought Kane, they were worried about him straight away. They thought, will he turn at this defensive strike? Will he get the same goal record? No, he won't is the answer. But for me, he's played his best ever football. And I find that baffling, to be honest. But it's it's a stroke of genius, really. He's, He's dropped into sort of a he's kind of a false nine now, isn't he, Kane? A bit more of a, an attacking midfielder, drops back. I, I think it was the other week against Man City, he was he was playing left back, right back, all over the place. It was just what's going on? But stroke of genius. It it worked a treat and he, Kane is that all round player now. And Mourinho has helped the defensive side of his game, whereas he'll always have that attacking instinct. If he gets a chance in the box, he's gonna score, no matter what. So it's it's great that Kane has developed it a, his shirt number in a number 10 as well.
1: Yeah, it's almost like Kane's become that false nine player that you were talking about, Dan. And it's that sort of um, unusualness to, to Tottenham's play, which means they've scored some of goals. Man City, West Ham, just at the top of my head. West Ham, they were in the league lead after uh, 45 seconds or something daft like that, wasn't it? With Kane dropping deep and allowing the space for Son, Vine Lucas, whoever it is, as those forward two wide players to get in behind, it gives Tottenham uh, another string to the bow for, for an attacking sense. We always know Mourinho's going to be um, solid at the back. Actually, that wasn't true at the start of the season. They only got one clean sheet from the first five games. But since then, they've got four clean sheets from the next five, including a partnership of, on Sunday of uh, Rodon and Dyer. Two defenders that, one was at Swansea last season, one you thought is never going to be Mourinho's first-choice centre-back. How much has he improved those players as well that he's already had at Tottenham?
0: I had to Google Rodon to see if it was the same one that was at Swansea, and I couldn't quite believe that it was the same person. I mean, you get a bit lucky at the end. I think um, if Giroud perhaps started, was a little bit more um, up to the game's tempo, having not come out of the substitute, he probably would score the chance that he'd given. But I think, I just, I think, it's, I think that's, you've got to credit Mourinho as well as a as well as player, because he's, he's publicly outed so many players that he's been at clubs that he's been at and he's and he's slated his own player sometimes. And sometimes a lot of people would say that's not the right thing to do, that it puts pressure on them to perform, that often they'll never get back to a standard that they're at. But at the same time, he he has two extremes. He can do that and he can also really believe in people. And Eric Dyer, I don't think he's anybody's favourite player. I think everyone thinks he's he's all right. I don't think anyone any, anyone thinks of him has been a world class player, but he's played out of position, really. And he's kept Chelsea out with their fantastic attacking players playing alongside somebody who was a Championship player last season. Ollie
1: can I ask you a question as a fan of the team who were the current Premier League champions? Do you fear Spurs this season? I fear any team this season to be honest because I, <laughs> I, I genuinely just never know
4: what's going to happen. Um, I think the thing is with Spurs there's no real expectation on them. Obviously, we talk about need a trophy, but when we were talking about needing a trophy, it was only really the FA Cup or the League Cup that we was talking about. It was never the Premier League. There was never an expectation to win the Premier League for them. It was usually Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, maybe even Man United with the money they have spent. But with, with Spurs and Mourinho this time, I, th- I think really it's back to uh, individual players. Um, with Mourinho before, he's obviously had fallouts with apparently Pogba uh, when he was at Chelsea, like Fabregas, um, Hazard. But it's Tottenham, it feels different this time. It feels like he's got a squad that's fully behind him. You saw on the documentaries that he's got a, a quite a tight-knit group that are going to get behind him. They're going to be a, be a squad. Maybe there's a fallout with Deli Ali that, that, that keeps getting thoughts about, but they, they don't even need anyone like that in the squad at the minute. So I, I do fear them because there's no real pressure on them, even if they are top in February. Like I said, that's when we start, start talking about title challenges. Um, Then, then yeah, I definitely fear them.
3: So you're not just uh, shitting yourself all laxatives then, it's all Spurs as well.
1: So Tottenham's next few fixtures are Arsenal in the North London derby, Palace, Liverpool, Leicester and Wolves. If they can come through that and still be within the top two, three teams, I think then we've got to really consider them as title challengers this season. Like Ollie mentioned, it might not be till February time that Spurs are then considered the favourites or someone that could do it. But with Mourinho, you can never rule them out.
0: All right, Let's talk about Derby. They sit at bottom of the Championship for the first time in a very long time. And they've had the joint second-worst opening 13 games ever to a Championship season. Now, just for comparison, in 2016-17, which is Rotherham's really dreadful season, the Millers finished 19 points below 23rd and 28 points from safety, with a total of 23 points. If Derby carry on as they have been so far they will finish on 23 points. They're currently averaging 0.5 points a game from seven in 14. And that season, Rotherham scored 40 goals, and Derby this season are on track to score 17. That's 1-7, seven, 17. How has it gone so drastically wrong, a side that nearly in the class last season, that did finish in the class the season before that, that's always got money injected into it to try and reach the Premier League, how has it gone so unbelievably wrong?
1: I think since Lampard and the players he brought into the club, Derby haven't replaced them with uh, quality additions that they had that season. Uh, Mason Mount now obviously starting at Chelsea every week. And Harry Wilson, who had a good spell with Bournemouth last season, was unfortunately relegated, now playing regular football with Cardiff. But they haven't replaced them with those sorts of players. Their front four from the game against Wickham was Holmes, Sibley, Lawrence and Kazim Richards. Three of them have had fallings out within their career. One of them is a good youth prospect of Lewis Sibley. He got five goals in 11 matches last season for Derby. I think he's a good youngster, but maybe it's too much too soon for him. He can't be expected to play every week with the same um, impetus that he's had at the, at the end of last season. Um, can those players be trusted to get Derby out of a relegation battle? I'm not so sure.
3: I think they've got absolutely no identity whatsoever. They're a side that, like we said under, under Lampard, the looked promising, but that was probably just a little bit of a bounce, wasn't it? It was his, Lampard's first job and it was, everyone was behind him, loads of Chelsea loanies, Oh, the Lampard bounce. bounce yeah. <laughs> I
1: just realised. was the bounce. Do the bounce. <laughs> Lampard, do the bounce.
3: <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so the, I just think they've got no identity whatsoever. Obviously, Lampard had a great start with him and it was his first job in football and the excitement was around them, loads of Chelsea loanies, but
0: that's obviously, like we've mentioned, a short-term fix. You mentioned, Dan, that they've lost their identity. But when Lampard left, they replaced him with Philip Cockey, his first managerial job in England. And he's very youth-orientated as a manager. And the likes of Lou Edge, Jason Knight, Louis Sibley, Max Bird. Um, there's, there's definitely others as well that I've missed there. Whittaker. And then the likes of Lowen and Bogle, who went to Sheffield United in the summer. And that was his ethos. And it wasn't the most successful... It didn't start well this season. But is it a change of identity so quickly that didn't work? Or does that identity in itself not work? It, the identity for me, I, I understand what you mean with uh,
3: Koku. He was obviously a very youthful manager and everyone expected him to sort of continue the Lampard sort of the, the process. But what happened was that now they've gone completely back over. The point is Rooney, who this is his first job as well, well kind of appointed Rooney, this is his first job. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing, let's be honest. He got absolutely tortured by George Savile the other night. And George <laughs> Savile's no great player, is he? So he's, he's finished his career on a bad note, essentially. And now he's took over a very, very struggling side. This is what I mean in terms of identity. They went back to Steve McLaren. I mean, yeah. a, a person who's really struggled with him. And, and now he's like, he's back there for... Is this the third time? Fourth third time? time now, yeah. Fifth time? Sixth time? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That's what I mean by the lack of identity. They don't know where they're going. At all, they're a club that I always thought they were Oh, if, if you were finishing above Derby, you were in the right place. That's what they were yeah. like a few seasons ago. They were always there and thereabouts, but then it, it's just seem we've gone a bit stale. And despite all the controversy on, on off the pitch, we like Spygate and what have you, all that sort of stuff, and signing Rooney, like it's exciting, but they're a stale club, if you get me. They just don't have anything going for them at all. It's like a it's polar opposite to What I'm saying, I know that it's like exciting off the pitch, but on it, they're just stale and they've got nothing going for them.
2: It's like when they signed, uh, oh, sorry, when we, when we signed Jack Marriott off on loan. It was a bit of a weird one because it kind of came out of nowhere. And the reason why we got Marriott was meant to be because Kenneth Zahor was going to Derby because Derby needed a striker, especially if there was like one go. And I'm not sure if Colin Kazim Richards had joined at that point, but at the end of the day, they didn't replace him thoroughly did they? they obviously kind whole of chose to go to Millwall interestingly and obviously Jack Marriott was quite happy to come to us a team that was at that point on minus 12 points or possibly minus nine when the window was ending or minus eight something like that and he'd rather come play for us when seemingly there was not really much competition at Derby so there's clearly not there's something not right and, and I was thinking about players that maybe didn't fit into that philosophy that Koku had and you look at Florian Joseph soon, who's only just been loaned out to Rotherham United this season. I don't think he's ever been a, ever been a success. I remember if it was a while ago now, obviously Cocky wasn't there, but players like Nick Blackman, and they just seem to sign flops. And I don't, I don't get why. In the, they'd have fit in perfectly to our, obviously, feature last week. But I, I just I, I just don't understand it. Yes, you can promote young players, but then you need to have the right experience around them. And, and Rune is... Probably, well, he's probably the perfect player to have or at least, you know, last season and a couple of years before that he would have been. But Colin Kazim Richards and, and play, players like that, and they're not for me really. The, the big thing for me is that when you
4: look at Derby, you, you have to question what's next for them because uh, obviously they've got this four-man coaching team at the minute, Wayne Rooney, Liam Rossini, Shea Given and I think it's Justin Walker and they're claimed one point from three games. This situation is urgent, and it's not really the time to be experimenting. I look to the odds for the for the next manager, and I think John Terry and Wayne Rooney are the favourites. Obviously, I know they experimented with Lampard, but this this is a completely different situation. Now you've got a struggling team, devoid of any confidence. Yes, there's some good talent, but you, you need more than that. Rooney said it was it would be back to basics this weekend. And it, it was that apparently, apparently it was just long balls to Conan, Kazim Richards every two minutes. Uh, they probably should have won, but I think this really scales the crisis when you're taking positives from a draw against a side whose wage bill can't be much higher than what Derby are actually paying with Rooney.
3: I think in terms of, I'd be extremely worried if I was a Derby fan.
4: They're the sort of club
3: for me that'll do sort of a Portsmouth and go right, right down in the pecking orders, like right down in the leagues. I don't know what it is about them. They just don't strike me as a team who have that sort of bottle to bounce back because you obviously need that. As Sunderland found out that out the hard way as well, didn't they? I, they don't strike me as the sort of team that could bounce back. So it's so important for them to get this right this season and really get back
0: on track. And also their wage bill so high. So high. I mean, you mentioned that Nick Blackman. I mean, he's not there anymore. But they he had three good months at Reading. They spent, I think, £7.5 million on him. I think now he plays his football in, in Israel. I think you think he was a, I think at Tel Aviv. I think he is. But players like that, which they signed for big money, and they've still got some of them on contracts, and the wage bill if they went down to League One would be, would be so huge that they'd probably get hit by fair play. If that's I mean it's, it's HFA Wednesday in in retrospect for a few seasons ago. And I think now because of that they've kind of set their precedent. They're going to stamp down on it. And Derby well, just about escaped those rules before. I was just going to touch on there, the Rooney transfer itself. And I know it was a while ago, but 32 Red actually funded that
3: transfer, yeah. didn't they? And I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, they're the same sponsor as us. And I'm not saying that Rooney should have kept a Borough, but in an, in, in an alternate universe, he could have. Because of the sponsor on your shirt. It's it, that, that, the, Everything that's wrong with modern football, I think, stuff like that. And it's just, it's, I think it's, uh, what's what their owner called? Mel. Mel Morris. Sorry. Mel Morris. For now.
0: Yeah. Candy Crush. Well, man. what's happening there then? What do you mean for now? Well, the takeover is set to be completed in the next one to two so days, it? but they've been set out for right, three okay. weeks. Yeah. Which I think is why they're delaying in appointing a manager because they want the new owners to come in and decide who they want that manager to be. And meanwhile, yeah. on the pitch, they've had Wickham and Coventry, two huge, huge, huge games. They've got a point at home to Wickham. Mm. They travel to Coventry in the week. That's by far the biggest game of their season so far and they're in complete limbo. Yeah, by the time this limbo ends, the season could be over. Well, yeah, and they could be in League One and in real trouble.
1: Yeah, that's the point I was going to make, Adam, that Wayne Rooney's first two games, essentially from the touchline, have been Wickham and then will be Coventry by the time this goes out. It'll be that night, won't it? So well, I don't know about you, Wayne Rooney just doesn't strike me as a manager that will instil confidence into that Derby side. I don't know what it is, whether he's too quiet or not confident, or but even when he's in front of the press, he doesn't look comfortable. Um, you look at the other managers that in around his generation, Gerard and Lampard, they were tacticians. they were managers that were trying to take on board They, all, they were captains of their side i don 't know who Rooney was as well, but not in the same way as in, in, uh, sorry in their dishing out instructions towards the team at the same time as the manager. You could almost tell that their natural progression would be to become a manager i don 't think it 's the same with wayne Rooney
3: yeah i 'd agree with that i' don't, it never ever struck me as a manager when you think. Everyone always played that game and they're like, oh, who's going to be a good manager when they rolled out this England squad or whatever? Like you said, Gerard Lampard, Terry, Rooney was always such a talent on the pitch. But you could never sort of see them, that tactics like you said, he, he hasn't really got that about him, has he? He's more of a, a bulldog sort of player and obviously he's got tremendous skill
2: with the ball. But
3: yeah, it doesn't strike me at all as a type of manager who's going to
2: keep a struggling Derby side up. You, you miss the best manager out there, Dan. You miss Sol Campbell.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I I have got quite a few derby friends from from back home. Obviously, you're more, oh, more than, me, than me, so <laughs> thank you. Uh, but they're all generally really, really worried. I and mean, I, I haven't. There's not one of them that's not confident about this season. They they watch their team week in week out, and they think this is getting worse. It's not getting better. The manager's changed, and it's got worse. Rooney's been appointed permanently, and it got worse again. And there's at a point where they don't think it can actually get any worse. Um, and if you base it on the last five seasons, on the tables of the last five seasons, the Stoke Derby would need 1.4 points per game from now. To make the playoffs over a season in the last five years, he needed 1.6. And they've already had 14 games gone. They're currently averaging 0.5. So the, the, the improvement they need to make is so incredibly vast. They need to be better than playoff form just to stay up is where they are now. And I just can't see. I, I can't see how it's possible.
2: See, we've talked about them maybe having a too young squad and relying on young players. At least if you want to make a drastic change, it can sometimes be easier with younger players because it's all about consistency with them. And I know the Derby squad isn't completely full of youth, but there is a lot of talent, as you've listed off, Adam. And sometimes you can, you or you might be able to find a manager that can get that consistency out of them for half a season, which they may need to... To drastically turn around their the points per game, but as you say, is that is that talent good enough? Is that talent there? There is obviously like Sibley that you mentioned, who is the main one, the one that we talk about. But I would argue the two behind him last year, the, the, the next two, they sold to Sheffield United. Yeah, and they don't have a Jeff Hendrick, in my opinion, or a, a Will Hughes this year. Yeah, you know, that are really talented young player that they can rely on and and probably more importantly as I mentioned before they don't they don't have a goal scorer they don't have a striker
0: so Derby as as a football club have never in their entire existence finished below seventh in the third tier of English football but I think we all fear especially me I think we really fear that that could become the normality for Derby if they don't sort themselves out quickly
4: In a week where Mike Tyson returned to the ring after 15 years out, it was the verbal fight between Des Kelly and Jürgen Klopp that saw the most action on BT Sport this weekend. The Liverpool manager was again vocal in his argument against the fixture scheduling for teams this season, with some clubs playing three times a week. But which corner did we side in during that interview, boys? Kelly or Klopp?
3: Kelly. It's got to be. Klopp came across just awful. He came across awful. He really did. He was arrogant. And he, for me, he's a spoilt brat. He really is. He doesn't like. I know it's a good trait to have as a manager, but he doesn't like losing or dropping points at all. And every time he does it, he seems to come out with one of these outbursts. He's never gracious in in drawing or, or, defeat, or defeat. And it's just, for me, I don't know. I really like Klopp. But he's got to get this nasty streak out of him. Because the way he took it out on the report... Of, poor Des Kelly. Poor Des Kelly. I oh, hope yep, he's
0: okay. Send me love. Um... But yeah, it was just—it was awful. It really was. I mean, I'm also in the uh, in the Kelly corner. I'm not his biggest fan, Des Kelly. It, uh, at the Riverside last January, Middlesbrough versus Spurs, he pushed me out of the way on, on our way out. Literally, just pushed me out of the way, thinking I was some sort of you know scum fan or something. But I am, I am going to I am going to defend him on this occasion because I mean I think you're, you're exactly right, Dan. When when Klopp wins, he's so infectious with his positivity and his energy, and he's such a lovable person to to watch and to to see him in interviews and just on the touchline even, when anything goes a little bit wrong, he will point the finger wherever he can. And I mean, I, I don't think it was Klopp. I've seen someone blaming the FA Cup for fixture congestion. And you think, well, the Premier League teams haven't even played in the FA Cup yet this season. How can you blame that? But then you're all right to play six, game, six games in the group of the Champions League. Just make it straight knockout if you're so bothered about fixture congestion.
3: But what does he actually want? Does he want the this, this season to just carry on for the full thing, just to cater for the top sides like Liverpool, who are going to be in every single competition fighting for it. Because we've got Euros coming on. Well, so, what
4: does he want it to eat at the end of the season? He hasn't actually said what he wants. I think the thing he was concerned about this week was the fact that obviously Liverpool, Brighton was the early kickoff, and he, he questions why someone like Everton, Leeds couldn't have been the early kickoff. But that raises the argument of moving us to a Sunday, and then we've got less rest time for the Champions League game midweek. I personally, I agree with and disagree with with you too in a sense because I, I I don't think this is just when he loses. He made the same sort of outburst after the Leicester game when we beat them three 0 but Sky Sports just didn't broadcast that. He's always been vocal about this point, even when we were we were top of the league last season. He was he's always been fairly angry and through the point when it comes to fixture congestion, whether he's right or wrong, it, I, I, just,
1: I I don't think it's particularly when he loses. It's, it's just something he feels strongly about. I don't think either Des Kelly or Jurgen Klopp cover themselves in glory with that interview. But there was one particular point that I didn't like about Klopp was when he um, had a go at Chris Wilder, just for Wilder having an opinion. He's got to do what's best for Sheffield United. Of course, he does. He's the manager. Um, he's got a vote and he's got the right to vote for only three subs if he wants. If that's what he believes is in Sheffield United's interests, then go ahead, do that. I haven't got any sort of problem with that. Um the main concern I would have is if, if Klopp's right and if it is 15 votes four and five against or 16 for four, whatever he said in the interview. If there's a majority there of 80% in favour for five subs, then why is that not enough to change it? I'd be more uh, angry and ha- be argumentative with the board for saying, well, we've got 80%. That's surely majority, that's enough, rather than just having to go at Chris Wilder for having the best interests of his club at heart.
2: It is ridiculous that he's out of five. Five substitutes allowed in the Premier League, especially when it's in the FL, where I don't think it necessarily matters as much. Because in reality, it's there to protect players, not just so they can play in the next game, but it's there to protect, for example, Harry Kane or any of the potential England squad for not getting injured for the ne- for the next tournament. You know, it's it's the same. It's the same for any any player of any nationality playing in the Premier League, and every other league has done this. You know, I don't understand why. The FA aren't stepping in to say, look, we should protect the players here. Let's just have five, five, sub- well, nine substitutes and five can come on. I don't understand why that's that's such a big. That, I don't know why there's a debate over it. I understand because because obviously Klopp was talking about it and he said, look, we're not going to use it to our advantage. Teams will use it to their advantage, okay? But you could say that about having when they changed it to three, three subs could come on from one or two, whatever it used to be. You know, it's at the end of the day you can extend it or decrease it as much as you like. At the end of the day, it should be done for the best reasons possible, and that is to stop injuries. It's not, it's not for someone to get an advantage. And in the AFL, I don't think it's used for that reason because normally teams don't have a big enough squad. There's probably only the championship. I can think of probably Watford, and even they started the season with lots of injuries that could realistically use it to their advantage. But you look at Leeds. At Leeds last year when they were promoted, they were working on a a squad of, you know, less than 20 players, pretty much, or 20 senior first-team players. So they wouldn't have been able to use it to their advantage. You know, I know at Wednesday, we have quite a big squad, but I I wouldn't want to see half of the players that we've got in our squad come on. You know, if we had five subs, and so far the trend has been that we've actually only made two or three subs a game. We've not even, we've barely even used a full three subs. So for me, like I say, going back to the Premier League, the fact that the FL has it, you can have five subs in the FL when most of those players aren't going to play over the summer. Yes, they deserve to have rest. So I'm not complaining that the FL have it. It's more that the Premier League don't have it. That's my point. And like I say, for internationals, especially if we look at it from an England point of view, it's vital. It's absolutely vital.
4: Uh, I saw an interview with Gary Lewin, the former England physio. I'm sure you all remember getting stretched off the side of the pitch during the mm. 2014 <laughs> World Cup. And he said, he said this season and the fixture the amount of fixtures and the lack of preseason and the intensity he says it can have kind of an effect for the next three, next two to three years on on player fitness do we think we should actually protect the players or do we think the players should just get on with it and managers should use the full the full squad
0: it's their job it is their job it's like if you if you're a boxer and you're going to the ring you know what your risks are we saw, we saw on Sunday in the, in the, Formula, in the Formula 1, somehow a, 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 a miracle how we didn't see a tragic accident. But when you get in a Formula 1 car, you know what the risks are. When you play football, you should know what the risks are. You can't be protected you know, indefinitely over something which might affect 1% of them or it might affect you know, a, a handful. It's Just get on with it. On the
3: other point of view, I've heard some physios as well, um, some interviews, I can't remember where we're at right now, but... Um, They've said that the more football they're playing, the better it is actually as well. Because when you play football apparently and you stop and you don't have a fixture for a couple of weeks, which happens sometimes over at national breaks and stuff, they they tighten up the players. And even though they're doing light training sessions and stuff, being match fit is crucial. And the more games you're playing, apparently the better it is and the less likely you are to get injured in the future because your body's getting used to it. Like if, if, for example, if I went for a run now outside I'd be shattered because I haven't ran for ages. But if you keep doing it, then you're going to be all right, aren't you? My, my main, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my main uh, dispute with Klopp's argument is the 12.30 kick-off thing. I cannot understand that at all. I don't understand what he's mourning at. An hour and a half's difference between kickoff times does not make a difference. I don't care what Good he off, says. Dad. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I'm tired because I've been at work early this morning, right? why can't their players get up early as well <laughs> simple as that Why? why, why? It's, it's a job and it's as simple as that they're in a privileged position footballers why can't they just do the things that normal people do and make sacrifices of two and a half hours to do their job to get paid absolutely millions stop mourning and shut up
2: So with Marine beating Haven and Waterlooville in the FA Cup, reaching the third round for just the second time in their history, we thought we'd celebrate that achievement by picking out football clubs with names that don't sound like football clubs at all. So I've gone with a few African football names, just because, or football teams, just because I think they're the best, really, from what I've seen playing football managers, scouting Africa, and just see a random team name. So I thought I'd have a look through. So we'll start with Chicken Inn, and they're a Zimbabwe Premier League soccer team. Uh, then 11 men in flight, they're a Swaziland team, or then they play in the Premier League
3: Swaz- Swaz- Swaziland. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or or Unbelievable if you're from anywhere else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Then, you're, then I've got Cape Coast Ebusua Dwarfs, Oh. I couldn't find a way on Google Translate how to pronounce Ebersuas, so I'm hoping that I'm not offending anyone. Uh, <laughs> no, and they play, you're not
0: offending anyone anyway, after Swaziland, you're all right. <laughs> and,
2: and, the, and they play in the Ghanaian Premier League. Um, also in the Ghanaian Premier League, a team you might have actually heard of, Hearts of Oak, they're one of the better teams in Ghana. Uh, a team that I definitely heard of before this, called Pyramids. Uh, they are obviously, as you probably guess, in the Egyptian Premier League. Um, then the first one I actually found, and this was because I played them in a preseason season friendly football match, and they're called The Magic, and they're from South Africa, and their the team was just called The Magic. Uh, in the Gambian uh, League First Division, there's a team called Armed Forces. I mean,
3: oh, you'd I love that one, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I knew someone <laughs> <from> that.
2: <laughs> and then in the Guinea National Championship, there's a team called Satellite. And then in Malawi, a team called Big Bullets. Don't know why. And then possibly my last my last three, and they're my favorite ones. So in the Mauritian League, there's Bolton City Youth Club. God knows why. And then to rival them in Sierra Leone is a team called Mighty Blackpool. <laughs> and then and then my favorite, which is also a team in Sierra Leone, is called Anti-Drug Strikers. <laughs> Don't like know how playing. they got that name.
0: I thought like playing Pez Mighty Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, i will go next and to start with i'm going to uh, be a little bit closer to home before we go on a bit of a world tour so um in the national league south you'll find tunbridge angels which sound a bit like something you'd find in the bible um and it's not every day that you get to say this uh, and it's all right to broadcast it but peniston church as well um <laughs> good football team from i think south yorkshire isn't it cam uh, and, yeah yeah i know I've i know, cock that one up <laughs> <laughs> i know it's i know it's peniston but it's just yeah it's, it's just better to say peniston isn't it is um, it? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is yeah. <laughs> um, in, If you're a, across, in, across the pond Into, into France and Ligue 2 Then um, the woman from Daniel Street Plays in that league, Nancy Lorraine um, But now we're going to go On a little bit of a world tour We're going to start in uh, the Liga de Football Professionnel De Bolivia Bolivian's Premier League um, Picking out two from there, one's called Club the Strongest They are the only teams to have played Continuously in the country's top division For longer than a century and ironically, they are one of the strongest because in 1930 they won the league without conceding a single goal. Uh, and they play in the Liga de Football Profesional de Bolivia, Club Always Ready. Uh, on the three occasions they've been promoted to the top flight, they've not lasted there for more than four years. So ironically, not always ready. Uh, if we head north slightly into, into the Caribbean, into the uh, Saint Kitts and Nevis Premier League, you'll find the Garden Hotspurs playing the Village Superstars and a biblical battle of St. Paul's United versus St. Peter's Strikers. Um, But unfortunately, Radiate in 2020 is my favourite team name, Rivers of Living Water Football Club. Uh, And one of their players is called Kyle Wharton, which sounds a little bit like water. That's close enough, isn't it?
1: I think it's me next, lads, and we're going to start in South America, in Argentina, with a team called Deportivo Moron. Uh, I think that was quite a... Funny name to start off with, but it gets better, don't you worry. 200 miles northwest, a similar team name in Peru called Deportivo Vanka. And i am going to be very, very careful. <laughs> i pronounce that one. And Vanka in the local language means warrior. So I think we're all right. And we're going to go back into Europe with a team in the Norwegian second division called Loveham. And they also used to have a handball team, funnily enough. And then into Africa and Botswana. And I've got three teams called the Botswana Meat Commission, carried on the same theme of love ham. And they've actually got a 22,000-seater stadium, would you believe? <laughs> and then the last two on this list are my favourites. They're called Naughty Boys and Golden Bush. Right,
4: I'm going to start in Barbados with a team called Insurance Management Bears. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 uh, I'm not sure if they're actually still playing Because they actually only currently have one contracted player So unless he's really good Then they're definitely not playing <laughs> um, I've also gone with three times Zimbabwean cup champions Wanky Collery um, <laughs> So despite winning the, the cup three times They've only won two of their last ten games though, So it sounds like Wanky could really do with a hand <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've also stuck in Africa To find FC Kuntum um, I'm, I've not found much about this team other than they play playing the IB AIB Super League and they're called Blood, Sweat and Beers FC. And my last one is a club that we've probably all heard of. It's Grasshoppers in Switzerland. I tried to find the oranges, origins of that name. But according to FIFA, the origins of the name are shrouded in mystery and have sadly evaporated into the mists of time. So
3: that's that. I thought them might have been taken so far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, Naughty Boys. I just like that one. because Imagine... Hello, hello, we are the naughty boys. Uh I t- probably don't say that in Argentina, do they? Um
1: <laughs> but when it's a Botswana team, oh, Dan. no no it's Botswana it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. I also had <laughs> I also had always ready who are the Argentinian team.
0: Um Montreal oh, no, that? no, <laughs> they were from uh, Bolivia dad. <laughs> no, they're Argentinian, they mean all oh, the one of two. Are they always ready <laughs> so, aren't Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> they're keen, Right.
3: Um, then I, I've got Montreal Impact. Because I just think that sounds like an earthquake. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, Seaman Padang. They're from uh, uh Footballer. I don't know. This is a German. Uh, no, a Norwegian team. Footballer, Gart, Fart. Uh, they're from Norway. Um, and Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace? What Why are they called? Crystal Palace?
0: <laughs> oh, really? Surely you know that. Well, I, I've never seen anything it? I think it was St. James's Palace was built in South London and it was it looked like Crystal, so it was called Crystal Palace. So its place oh, name right. is Crystal Palace.
3: It's sort of a terrible name. Imagine coming up against like your proper hard team and I mean nails. Or oh, we play this week, Crystal Palace.
2: <laughs> like that, isn't it? Doesn't strike you with fear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine That's Naughty fair. Boys played there, eh? Right? <laughs> 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 That's all for this week. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Rematch Podcast, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you get notified when we release the next episode of the Rematch Podcast. Cheerio. I was going to say adios, but I forgot something point. cheerio. You forgot. Well, I, I, said, I said I was I, when I was writing it down. I was thought, oh, right, adios. Then I thought, actually no, I'll just improvise to see what comes out, and it was cheerio. <laughs>